You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. We'll be in Genesis chapter 2, continuing our series, Pain and Suffering. And so we're going to start in verse 7, and um, we'll read down through verse 15. It says, And the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. And if you have a pen, you might want to circle that word Eden. He planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put a man whom he had formed. And out from the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life is in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then skip down to verse 15. And the Lord God took the man, and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. I ask that you pray for me one time as I pray for you. Father, we have all encountered pain and suffering. Some people right now even are walking in here in the midst of it. Um, They've lost loved ones even just this past week. And we desperately need you, Holy Spirit to take this word and to take it from just being a message that's being spoken by some 34-year-old guy to being your word spoken to our hearts and transforming us from the inside out. So we pray and we ask that you'll be gracious enough to do that for each person here today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, imagine for a moment not being able to feel any pain. Imagine never experiencing the pain or the discomfort from a cut, from a stub toe, from a migraine, from a cramp, from a burn or a broken bone. I mean, a vision of life where you never experience the agony of things like childbirth or the agony that comes from a tooth abscess or kidney stones or a pulled muscle or a bad back. For most of us, when you think of that life, you're like, sign me up. And yet, for 20 people living in the world today, who are born with a rare disorder known as congenital insensitivity to pain, these people are living a pain-free life, and yet what it has proven is to be not only an incredibly challenging life, but also an incredibly dangerous life. In an independent article entitled People Who Feel No Pain, an article written about people with this rare disorder, the parents of Ashlyn Rocker, who is a teenager in Patterson, Georgia, says the following, She, speaking of Ashlyn, their daughter, cannot feel hot objects, cuts, scratches, or insect bites. She can and has put her hand in boiling water and has done so without feeling any pain or any painful sensation whatsoever. This has led to a lifetime of anxiety for us as her parents. The article goes on to talk with other parents who watch their kids chew up their tongues, cheek, and lips as childs. Or as children. Uh, Other parents spoke of times where their kids had broken bones and someone else noticed before they even noticed because they do not feel pain. So as you can imagine, this life is, is fairly complex and dangerous. And that's why Professor Jeffrey Woods from the Cambridge Institute of Medical Research says the following. The ability to sense pain is essential to our self preservation. While it's true that pain isn't pleasant, It also serves as a real and important purpose, allowing our bodies to tell our brains when there's a problem. Without this system, life may be pain-free, but it is certainly more dangerous. 
For the majority of us in the room today, pain is no stranger, right? And because pain is not pleasant, because it often seems like nothing more than an interruption, when we experience pain and discomfort, typically what we try to do is numb it as soon as we can, right? So that we can just ignore it and get about our lives and do whatever it is that we feel like we need to do. And what we learn today is as dangerous as that is when it comes to our physical pain, it is actually far more dangerous when it comes to trying to numb our deep emotional pain. The pain that we experience from losing a loved one. The pain that we experience whenever we've been neglected or betrayed. The pain that we experience whenever we have the loss of a dream or the pain where if you're a teenager, right, where, where you experience, you know, you're this, 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 you know, you have this idea of I want to be able to sit at this table and yet you have to end up sitting at that table or I hope I hope to make this team and yet I got neglected, I got looked over, right? I mean, all of these things create pain in our life and this pain is very real and because oftentimes we have no idea what to do with the pain. We often try to numb it, and we often try to move on as quickly as we can. And listen, though this seems courageous in our culture, and it even seems like a thing that is good to do, what you need to understand today is it is incredibly dangerous. Because listen, in the end, if you cannot feel, you cannot heal. In other words, if you do not pay attention to the pain in your life, the pain you're experiencing, and not just physical pain, I'm talking specifically today about a deep emotional and spiritual and relational pain. If you do not deal with that in healthy ways, rather than the pain going away, listen guys, rather than the pain going away, what will happen is over time this wound will begin to get fest- it will begin to fester and it will begin to get infected and it will affect all of your life, your mind, your body, and your soul in ways that will absolutely rob you of the joy and the life that you were longing for to experience. And so with that in mind, what I want to do today is I want to learn to go how from numbing our pain, which we will all experience, to embracing our pain. And learning how to grieve our pain and grieve our losses in a way that is healthy so that we can grow as men and women that Christ has created us to be. Does that make sense? And so with that in mind, in Genesis chapter 2, if you look back with me, I think it's important that we understand today as we talk about grief is that when God created the world, he created it as a place where there was no pain. It says, if you look again in verse 8, that whenever God created the world, he placed man in this garden and he called the garden Eden. Now, the word for Eden here literally means delight, pleasure, or a place of paradise. So what this tells us is a lot about creation, but it tells us even more about our creator. Because what it says is God could have created the world any way he wanted, and by his own free will, he created it a place that is good. He created it a place where he wanted us to experience pleasure. He created the world to be beautiful and rhythmic and where where human beings would have a perfect relationship with with one another and with them and the universe and experience this unbelievable amount of satisfaction and fulfillment. Eden was a place that all of us would have loved to live. However, what we see is Eden was actually something that didn't last very long. Because if you keep reading the story in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17... It says that the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. Now notice the grace that God shows them here. 
God does not try to catch Adam and Eve and trick them into sinning. He says very clearly, look, I'm going to create you with free will. Every day you have a choice. Do I want to choose God or do I want to choose self? Do I want to trust God or do I want to trust me? And Adam and Eve, deceived by the serpent, begin to believe that they knew better how to run their lives than the author of life. And so they ate of the tree and immediately, what do we see happen? Everything is fractured. Paradise is lost. At one time, Adam and Eve were in a perfect relationship with one another and with God and with the universe. But now, what do we see happen? There's division, there's distance, there's thorns, there's thistles. Everything from the top down to the bottom is completely jacked up. Just as God had promised, whenever we disobeyed him, death entered into the picture. But death was not a normal part of his creation. Death came when sin came. And not just a physical death, but we see here the death of Eden. The death of a world with delight and pleasure and peace. And what this means for us is this. Because human beings were created for Eden, we all now long for Eden. Every single person in here longs for the day where we can breathe out both nostrils. We long for the day where there's no cancer and there's no death and there's no dysfunction. There's no fights. There's no racism. There's no bad news. We long for a day where everything will be put to right. And therefore, whenever something happens in this world that keeps us from experiencing Eden, that which we long for, right, then we grieve. We experience grief. We grieve the brokenness. We grieve the pain. We grieve the feeling that reminds us this world is not as it should be. This world is not Eden. And listen, this grief that we experience, it starts at an early age, right? I mean, when a baby is born into this world, it doesn't come out like, ah, you know, like singing. It comes out crying and kicking, right, and screaming. I mean, we realize that the world is broken from a very early age. I mean, I even think about Adam and, and Lucy. You know, Adam took Lucy to the hospital last week to go and make a visit. There was a woman who had had a miscarriage, and, um, and, and Adam wanted to go with Scott Claiborne to minister to her. And, and so Adam takes his, his five-year-old daughter, and he says, man, like when I walk in, this woman grieved like heavier than I've seen a lot of people grieve. And he walks in, and you know they talk to her and minister to her and pray for her. But whenever they leave, Lucy looks at Adam and says, Daddy, why was that girl so sad? And I love the fact that, dude, that you didn't try to like pretend like she wasn't sad. Like, side note, we need to stop trying to pretend like there's not pain in this world when our kids ask us about that. You're setting them up for failure and heartache, right? And so she asked, like, why is she crying? And Adam wasn't like, oh, she just, you know, has something in her eye, right? Like, he, like, tells her, like, well, she lost her baby. Her, her baby died. And, of course, Lucy, as a five-year-old, she's trying to wrap her mind around this, and she doesn't fully get it. But listen, she began to weep. Adam's like, she actually began to wail. I mean, she just was soul stricken with grief in that moment. And why is that? How can a five-year-old girl who doesn't fully understand things really grieve that moment? Because even as a child, she knows that's not right. That is not the way that this world is supposed to be. And so she cries. And just so you know, that's the appropriate response. All of us in here should grieve. And you know why? One, because this world is not the way it's supposed to be. And two, we should grieve because we were made in the image of a God who grieves. In Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, I'll put it on the screen for you, I believe. Do we have that text, Ryan? 
Genesis chapter 6. I'll flip over. I'll read it in my own Bible. Genesis 6. You can just listen to it. Verse 5, it says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man and how it was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And then verse 6, The Lord regretted that he had made man on earth. And look at this. And it grieved him to his heart. Some of you, when you think of God, you think of, his, think of him as this cold and calculated, this distant being who's not emotionally involved in his creation. And yet, what do we read right here? According to the scripture, God grieves the state of the world. And because we are created in his image, guess what? He actually expects us to do the exact same thing. That is why Sigmund Freud who was a neurologist and the founder of psychoanalysis. He's still considered one of the most popular figures in all of psychology. I don't think he was a Christian, but he said the following. Grief is a natural state, and it should not be tampered with. In other words, even Sigmund Freud, who's just coming at this from a completely scientific you know, uh, stance, he says in here that to be human is to grieve. And therefore, if we want to be human, if we want to truly live as we were created to live, we must learn, rather than numbing our pain, we must learn how to embrace our pain. And I believe that's why, by the way, when you read the Psalms, two-thirds of them are filled with sorrow, pain, and deep grief, all woven with faith. In Psalm chapter 13, for example, which I think we can put on the screen for you, verse 1 says this to the choir master of Psalm of David, How long? Oh, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Verse 2. How long must I take counsel in the soul, in my soul, and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. And my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Does this passage not seem like David is a little bipolar? I mean, in one moment he's like, God, where are you? And the next moment he's like, praise be to God. You are good. Right? When we look at this and we're like, what is going on here? And the reason that we're so confused about Psalm 13 is because we are the ones who have no idea what to do with our own pain. I was thinking about, um, you know, just a couple years ago, I was in a church building here, um, in a church in our, in our, in our city, and I was in their foyer and they had these, uh, rules posted in their foyer. And like one of them was like, no, you know, uh, food or drink in the sanctuary, things like that. But like rule number three was literally always smile. And I was thinking, you know, I kind of get it, right? Like, I mean, I get it. Jesus is alive, right? I mean, the kingdom is here. We're not alone. God loves us. He sent his Holy Spirit. In the end, we all know that when we trust Christ, we will win. So I get it. As Christians, we should be celebratory. We should be happy. But what happens whenever your parent dies? What happens whenever your child is taken away from you? What happens whenever your spouse says, I want to leave? What happens when you walk in to that church building and you feel like you have been punched in the soul? Well, whenever you grow up in the church, a lot of times what you don't, whenever you're being told, hey, just put a smile on. When people come up to you and say, how you doing? You say, hey, brother, better than I deserve. What you do is you just fake it till you make it. 
And this whole idea of, man, I've got to be happy, I've got to always got to smile because I'm a Christian, you want to know what happens to those people? Is though they look great on the outside, they start dying on the inside. That's what happens. David was a man who knew and felt deep grief. And the Bible said he was a man after God's own heart. David said, tears have been my food day and night. I feel like I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm so troubled I cannot speak. Where are you, God? Have you forgotten me? It almost feels like blasphemy, doesn't it, whenever you read some of David's stuff in the Psalms? But yet it's here in the Bible because God wants it here. And why does God want this stuff in the Bible? Because he wants you to start being real about your pain. God wants you to start taking the good, the bad, and the ugly to him and know that only whenever you can be real about your pain and feel your pain and go to him with it can you experience the healing that you desperately need. I cannot tell you how many times I've been in a counseling session and people have apologized to me for crying. Listen, guys, God does not want you to apologize for your grief. Listen, it is not a sin for you to be sad. Let's say that again. It is not a sin for you to be sad. And if you think that is wrong, then you need to renounce Christianity because the only thing that, that the only thing that our faith is built on is the fact of the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus wasn't perfect, then his sacrifice didn't matter. And if sin is a sorrow, then what that means is Jesus was a sinner. Because the Bible says Jesus was a man of sorrows. Jesus was a man acquainted with grief. And we see that, like in John chapter 11, it's a perfect example where Jesus walks up to his friend's tomb, right? And he finds out Lazarus has been dead and all these people are crying. And what does Jesus say when he walks up? Think about this. Put yourself... We, we get so screwed up in reading the Bible and we try to emotionally detach ourselves from it. Put yourself in the situation for a moment. Everybody's crying. Here comes Jesus who's been in heaven from eternity past. He's a perfect being. He's the most emotionally healthy human being that the world has ever known. And he does not walk up to the grief and say, Hey, 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 everybody. A new day is dawning. I'm here. Cheer up. I've been to heaven, man. It's perfect. Hey, guys, our loss is heaven's gain. God just needed another angel. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, hey man, I'm about to raise him from the dead. Guys, quit doubting me. I mean, this is going to be great. No, what happens? The Bible says when Jesus found out Lazarus was dead, Jesus wept. Jesus went to the place of pain and he let the pain wash over him. And when it says that he wept, it doesn't mean like he dabbed his eye. Like literally the word for wept there means he was dry heaving. He was shaken to the core. And here's what that means. If you want to be like Jesus, which by the way is the goal of every disciple, if you want to be like Christ, you have to learn how to embrace pain and loss in this world. You have to learn how rather than trying to numb your pain, to feel your pain and to grieve in a way that God would call you to grieve. This is becoming so hard in our culture, isn't it? I mean, last year, antidepressants were the high, highest-selling drug in America. 
hundreds of millions of pills are prescribed every single year to help people numb their pain because they don't want to feel sorrow. And maybe for some of you, like, pills isn't your thing, but I would say all of us are tempted to try to numb our pain in one way, shape, or form. Some of us use Netflix, some of us alcohol, sex, shopping, weightlifting. Some of us just have to always be working, always be busy. I mean, some of you, listen, you're such a good Christian boy, like you would never think of filling your body with drugs and alcohol, so you fill your schedule instead. Because you don't want to deal with the stuff that is really going on inside. And if that's where you are today, listen, if you're constantly trying to just push down the hurt, to push down the pain, if that's where you are, listen, you may be able to numb your pain for a season, but I'm telling you, it's always going to come back. It's like trying to push a beach ball down underneath water. You can do it for a little while, but I'm telling you, eventually you're going to get exhausted and it's just going to pop right back up into your life, probably stronger than ever before. And so therefore today, what we have to learn how to do is embrace grief. We have to learn how to embrace pain, embrace loss, and grieve well. So the question is, just getting super practical, how do we do that? What does it mean to grieve well? How can we grieve in a healthy way? And I've got seven things here for you, and then we'll be done. One, if you are going to grieve your losses well, the first thing I would say is you have to lean into the suck. suffering, and I'm not trying to be crass, suffering sucks. In that it literally sucks the things that you value and love away from you. And you need to just own the fact that sometimes that hurts like hell. If you cannot own the pain, if you cannot learn to lean into the suck, to lean into the pain and just own that, you're never going to be able to grieve it well. So that's the first step. Second thing I would say is this. You have to identify what was really lost. You have to identify what was really lost whenever that teacher picked on me. What was really lost whenever my grandfather passed away? What was really lost whenever I didn't get picked for that team? What was the thing that I really lost that I'm grieving? For some of you, maybe it was security financial stability, maybe it was like just one more person in your life who loved you unconditionally and now they're gone. What is it that you really lost? I encourage people at times to create a timeline to think about all the negative events in their lives and then to think about in that moment what was really lost in that moment that caused grief in my life. Identify that. And then learn to take that, third thing, learn to take that loss to God. As we've already said a lot in the series, God is not afraid of your emotions. He wants you to bring the good, the bad, and the ugly to him and know that he will meet you there. And listen, because he will often meet you through community, the fourth thing I would say is you need to take that loss to community. David Kessler, who is this world-renowned voice on grief, as a matter of fact, all celebrities want him at their bedside. uh, Even Mother Teresa personally requested David Kessler to sit with her while she was dying. He says this, grief needs a witness. If you're going to grieve well, you need other people in your life who experience the grief with you. You need the presence of other people who will support you and encourage you and love you. And this is why we tell you all the time, you need to be involved in a missional community. You need to be involved in a fight club. A pastor cannot possibly sit with each and every single one of you and help grieve alongside you well. We need community. The fifth thing that I would say is this. If we're going to grieve well, we must learn to be patient. A lot of times whenever... 
people encounter grief, they usually ask the question, how long should this take me before I can get over it? How long should it take for me to get over this? And here's what I would just say. Grief is not a disease. So you don't get over it. You don't get over grief, but you can learn how to live with grief in a healthy way. And listen, usually this takes longer than you want it to, and it definitely takes longer than society wants it to. I used to work for Arkansas Counseling, and I remember that doctors would prescribe uh, antidepressants to people if they had been experiencing sorrow for more than two weeks. Two weeks? Guys, that's nothing. Some of you guys have experienced horrific stuff, and the fact that you're still feeling sorrow after two weeks doesn't make you crazy. It just makes you human. It takes time to get over the pain that we experience in this life. My wife had a miscarriage over two years ago. And even on the way to the crossing, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago, she says, you realize that our child will be two years old today? God has certainly got my wife through the grief, but she hasn't gotten over it. And that's okay. That is not a bad thing. Death sucks. Pain is real. And listen, parents, by the way, just again, side note, you need to help train your kids in this now. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but like when my kid falls or does something, hurts their knee, I'm like, you're okay, okay, stop crying, stop crying, stop crying. Right, especially if we're in public, shh, because like, I'm really embarrassed by their crying. Just stop crying, say, you're cool, you're cool. As if we're saying the tears are worse than the pain. Guys, the pain is always worse than the tears. And we need to acknowledge that, and we need to realize it takes time to get over the pain. We need to be patient. The sixth thing I would say is that we need to realize as we've already said a lot in the series, that God will not waste your pain. We've talked about this through Job. We've talked about this through Romans. One of the passages I would read, James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, if we can put that on the screen for you. James says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Suffering is hard. But it, it does make us better. It does. If we will trust Christ, it will make us better. It will make us stronger. And you know this because the people you admire the most, the people who are most humble, who are most loving, who are most compassionate, I'm telling you, they're people, if you look at their lives, they have suffered in great ways. Theodore Roosevelt said the following, Never throughout history has a man who lived a life of ease left a name worth remembering. You cannot... Truly become a great human being apart from hardship and suffering. And you need to be reminded that whenever pain then comes, that God really will work that out and use that for your good. The last thing I would just say is this. If we're going to grieve well, we need to keep perspective. In the middle of hardship, at times it feels like that this will never pass. It feels like we will never be happy again. But according to the scripture, guys, listen, we have the hope of knowing that because of Christ, one day all sad things will come untrue. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'll just read it for you in verse 51 through 57. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this imperishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? 
For the sting of death is sin, but the power of the sin is law. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Good news for those of you who are Christians. There's coming a day where you're not going to suffer anymore. And what that means, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, is though we grieve now, we do not have to grieve without hope. And you know why? Because thanks be to Jesus, though Eden was in our past, Eden is also in our future. Except better. Because it's not a tree of knowledge and a tree of life, it's just two trees of life we read about in Revelation 21. Think about this, and we'll be done. In the book of Genesis, where the story starts... You have Adam and Eve in the garden, and Satan tempts them with food, and all of humanity crashes. That's where the story starts, but it's not where the story ends. Because centuries later, we would come to another garden. Not the Garden of Eden, but the Garden of Gethsemane. And there, Satan would try to tempt humanity again. He would try to tempt Jesus himself, not with eating, but with drinking. And if you remember, Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he pray before he went to be crucified? He said, God, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. What cup is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the cup of God's wrath. He's talking about the cup of God's wrath poured out on all of our sin. You see, at the cross, Jesus would become the most vile human being the world has ever known. Though he never once sinned, hear me clearly, he never once sinned. Ever. He was perfect. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that he became our sin. Whatever sins you have committed, Jesus became that sin. And on the cross, for you and me, God poured out his wrath on Christ. Jesus said, if there's any other way, let this cup pass of me, but not my will be done, but yours. And rather than being tempted by Satan to pass on the cup, he drank the cup. He took God's fury so that we can get God's forgiveness. Isaiah 53 says he was a man of sorrows and at the cross he went and carried our sorrows. He carried our grief so that now we can find the life that we are longing for in him. There really is coming a day, guys, where there's going to be no more antidepressants, no more death, no more miscarriage, no more cancer. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ and his death, his perfect life, his death and resurrection, there's coming a day where you will enjoy just the overflow of God's perfections forever in a world of pure peace and pleasure and delight.